Welcome to Tech Breakfast, today's top headlines served hot by your host Aaron Bewley and Tyler Gates. So grab your coffee and let's get into it. It's Wednesday, August 12th. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. morning. <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> We're um, all right, so I'm having dinner with my family last night because that's what we do every night. Because You're having dinner with your family time. last night we, right now? Are we you also time travel? eat dinner at night. No, last night. You said, okay, we're off to a great start of understanding. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I'm asking my oldest what she's doing at school. She says, geography. I like geography. I said, what part of geography? And she's like, what do you mean? I was like, well, where are you studying? And she said, the earth. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And she said, and actually the other planets. And I was like, what? Wait a second. And I never considered geography being more than outside of just earth. the earth. I'd always thought of it in different regions within a planet. Yeah. And then I'm sitting here reading about geography this morning, often defined in terms of two branches, human geography and physical geography. Mm. And then I started thinking about as humans are moving more and more off planet, right? As we're, as we've been talking about and been trying to do and all that kind of stuff. Now you can debate whether or not that's going to happen, but we're obviously sending things to Mars. And so I don't know. It just, I was, I was curious if that, mess with your mind thinking about that as well or if it was just me it does i i know i'd never i would never have considered uh like any part of what i would have called astronomy to be part of geography but it yeah. does bring up a really good question about when does planetary geography become yeah. human geography i would yeah. guess as soon as we get there right so yeah, Mars. so they started with our solar system, and now, sure. and then they're moving in, right? So that way they understand uh, Earth's place in our solar system, and then they're going to continue yeah. to zoom in, which is which cool. I thought was pretty cool. It was a neat way to start um, geography. Anyway, okay, all right. Some tech news. Uh, I saw a pretty cool article this morning. It's called "AI Magic Makes Century-Old Films Look New." Uh, there's an AI algorithm that this. Uh, team of people or this one guy let's see dennis something i can't remember his last name let's see anyway uh he's using a, an ai algorithm to colorize and sharpen old movies bumping them up to a smooth 60 frames per second at 4k uh which is just wild to see Impressive. i'll drop the uh it's a wired article wired.com uh if you want to go try to find it but i'll drop it in the show notes it's pretty cool to see some of these old you know if you see like uh there's there's one that shows um san francisco a trip down Market Street uh, about a hundred years ago, and there's another one of a, the arrival of a train in December. Oh, okay. in 4K. And, I was uh, I was thinking cool. I had seen some of these right. Um, I have not read yeah. this article yet, but when you said arrival of the train, and now I'm looking through this, I, I have actually I've seen this. It's come up on Reddit a few times, and it's actually really interesting to see the before and the after, and you know what uh, what was done. Um, the fact that it was done with AI is even more interesting. Um, yeah. There's one here cool. of Tokyo from 1913 to 1915 is when they're guessing. They did one of uh, the Apollo 16 lunar rover yeah. from 1972, uh, colorized in 4K. It's pretty cool. It really and, is. Uh, I love some the color. Of this tech that they've used, uh, I think, honestly, originated within video game development because old school textures and even even some of the textures they build these days are hand-drawn i mean they're hand-drawn with a computer but but oftentimes just done by hand for the texturing and so in order to update some older games even 
even just independent developers were leveraging some form of AI framework to where they could actually have those automatically update the textures into a more native and, you know, larger resolution. Uh, and it, it's it's interesting to see how this is changing and going over to film. I actually think there's maybe even more relevancy here for certain things like, I would love to see this, not just for old movies, but I'd like to see them update some of the old World War II, like natural documentary uh, oh, stuff. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's where I see an, a very interesting application for, you know, something that I feel like definitely needs to stand the test of time. And and that would yeah. be huge for, for some of those older videos. No, I totally agree. Uh, colorization in general, too, is, is really interesting. There is um, a I, World I War II in color on Netflix that I've had on my list for years and I haven't watched. But I wonder if they used any of these techniques to, to add color to it. I don't know that they did mm-hmm. anything around 4K 60 frames per second, which, you know, kind of like we were talking about beforehand, most <laughs> films are not shot in 60 frames per second. So right. I do wonder what it's, sort it of is an odd, odd behavior right. that's going to cause within within the film. But it's, it is cool that they can do it nonetheless. Yeah, I know. Very, very, very cool. But uh, still strange. It's a strange frame rate. All right. What else y'all got? Uh, I've got one. Speaking of frame rates. <clears throat> so uh, I'm sure most people know who NVIDIA is. Um, they yeah, they make graphics cards in general. They also yeah, have a cloud a lot gaming of service. Uh, they are making a lot of noise. Uh, <laughs> this, If anyone hasn't heard of any of the cloud gaming services, I've probably talked about Stadia before. Um, it's actually a place where you can play Destiny, really. So, but NVIDIA has one called GeForce Now, which actually works really, really well. It's probably the lowest latency cloud gaming service out there, which is huge. I mean, you have to have low latency to be able to to do input-based cloud computing, right? And so, they're offering a six-month subscription with Hyperscape's Battle Pass. Hyperscape is a is a battle royale, which is you know the all the rage these days. And uh, that's a pretty good deal because I'm pretty sure that Battle Pass is is $20. So for $5, you're getting a six-month subscription to GeForce Now's uh, cloud gaming service. So if you don't have a powerful enough PC and you want to play Hyperscape on PC at 60 frames per second, uh, then that would be uh, be a really good option for a lot of people out there who don't want to make that investment and would rather just pay a... uh, a monthly fee, you can kind of get your six months at a, at a very, very discounted price. So it's it's pretty cool. I don't know if you guys have tried any cloud gaming or not, but it's, I have it's not. definitely I have coming. Not. Yeah, I'm seeing it in the news more and more. Uh, in fact, there was one I scrolled by this morning. Uh, where is it? Apple clashes with Microsoft, Google, and Facebook yeah. over cloud gaming. Yep. I saw that too. My, Microsoft piled on and with the uh, anti-competitive nature of the App Store because uh, their streaming service was declined in the App Store. Uh, did you guys see the reason as to why it no, was declined? I, I didn't. No. I didn't click through that it, one. Which, which so I, I, I was listening to a podcast yesterday and they had, they had touched on it. It's because Apple has a very strict policy on being able to review every application that flows through the, the App Store. And they cannot review the games that the game streaming service would be streaming. And so because you're accessing an app through an app, the only thing that they can review is is the the Xbox Game Pass app itself or the Stadia app or the GeForce Now app. They can't yeah. extend and review those other ones. And so that breaks their the terms of service. <laughs> well, you know, I... 
I have a feeling that that's something that yeah. they're leaning into as they maybe make their own gaming say. service. But <laughs> I, I just think it's, I just think I thought it was an interesting application own. of the rule. Because well, I sort of, I sort and, of wondered see, that's, to myself. That's a perfect example of why this is even in the news, right? It's why aren't you with like? So, okay, so take a step backwards. Pretend like Apple had mm-hmm. no interest in having their own streaming service. Do you think that they would ostracize every gamer that's looking for a mobile version of a streaming video game platform? No. But if they're already considering their own and they have this really convenient App Store rule that says they can just shut down the other ones. It doesn't get much more anti-competitive than that. Yeah, I, you know, and I recognize that videos are not technically apps, but I just thought to myself, it's like, well, do you record? Do you review the content that someone streams on Netflix? Because it's it's literally the same. It's content. the same thing. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. No, and, and, and that, so that I was think that was kind of my excuse. counter to it. No, that's actually a really good point as well. But I don't, I don't know. I don't think they're doing themselves any favors by. Uh, letting this stuff keep coming up, right? I, I will tell you guys that this whole cloud game streaming thing is is going to get messy in general before it gets all figured out. And to give you the best example, GeForce Now, which we just mentioned, it actually isn't... So with Stadia, you buy your games or you have a subscription and some of the games you get for free. Um, but you, you buy your games on your account. I, I have Stadia. I have certain games on there. With GeForce Now... It actually, you log into your Steam account or you log into your oh, Epic really? account and you use your existing games. Oh, see, now that's cool. Which, yeah. in my opinion, should be perfectly fine. But in right. publishers' yeah. and developers' opinion, it is not. It, uh, so there, is that universal or are there, are there camps it, there? There are camps, but it's it's fairly broad. I mean, I'm talking like I was able to play Call of Duty on GeForce Now day one and then on day two i was not Ooh. Uh, Ooh, so <clears> call of duty of which by the way i own two copies of, of. <laughs> and so it, it's just a it's a frustrating thing to me that because is. they it, it's it's as if i bought a new computer and i couldn't mm-hmm. install steam on it and play my games yeah but they so don't weird, view it man. that way because it's a, they're considering it a distribution platform and distribution platforms still must have some. It's a distribution platform. It's so frustrating. It's, yes. it's Steam just distributes the downloadable bits into a new asset that you log into Steam on. It, it's an absurd. I don't know. It's a money grab to me. It that, is a money grab, and it honestly rubs a lot of people. The, the you don't yeah. say this is all about money. Well, is that, uh, is that, is that what the problem my, is? My point. My point is like there's there's a <laughs> difference between. Look, I I don't. Yeah. I'm not going to sit here and and hammer on developers for not getting paid their due, right? But if if there is an incremental cost to make your software, your game, and its patches available on a streaming service over Steam, as an example, then that incremental cost, which should not be a full additional copy of the game, in my opinion, because that makes no sense, should have some sort of like universal rights version of the game and there should be upgrades to get you to that point. That that makes sense in this ecosystem. But I see game developers making these arguments and all I all I think is no 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 buy another copy of our game because yeah. we know that this is the thing you want to do it on. So just like, to be clear it's, it's for Nvidia service there actually isn't an incremental cost. Now for for Stadia for Google's 
there absolutely is because for Stadia, they actually have to develop. It's it's a Linux based platform. Mm. They have to develop the game to run on Vulkan, a different three uh, D yeah. rendering API that runs in Linux. That has a cost associated with it. Sure. But with NVIDIA, some developers didn't even know their games were on the service. That's awesome. And and it was working flawlessly. And and then they got upset about it. And that's the thing. It's like you wouldn't like NVIDIA is basically putting a bunch of PCs in a data center that you are remoting into yeah. to use. So could I remote into my own PC and and use, you know, whatever it is, Blizzard's launcher or Steam and and play games? And and that's the argument that most people will make. And here's the here's the funny part. There are other cloud gaming services that have done this in the past, but they are not popular. And so no one cared. No the one moment cared. that no NVIDIA cared. did it, now it's yeah. a problem. Of course. So of course it's, it is. It's, just, it's 100% a money grab. Well, and, and, and again, like I'm not going to sit here and just hammer developers. I think they're the content creators. They deserve more scratch probably than they're getting in a lot of cases, especially in the huge dev shops where you know a lot of it's just corporate motion over actually rewarding the artists associated with producing the content. But there's an argument on the other side of the fence or, or argument that I was presenting, which is um, it, NVIDIA is making a huge power grab by developing a platform that can so ubiquitously sort of draw in all that other content. And by reducing all of those barriers, they can just take advantage of all of the money you've spent somewhere else and just have it run on their platform. I mean, one, brilliant competitively, like Bravo, that was just smart. I get why developers are saying like, oh no, we had these opportunities to upsell, to create new licenses, and we just had that all robbed from us at the same time. And, and that's where I'm saying like an incremental well, let cost me, makes sense. Let me let me counter that. The majority of people who will leverage GeForce now are not me. <laughs> I am someone who will always have a gaming computer. I will always yeah, have the fastest yeah. one on my street. Sure. Just to be clear. <laughs> the very important the people who will leverage this at Rust least the vast majority of people who will who will leverage this do not have a gaming computer they probably don't even have a console maybe there's some guy who you know yeah. played games 10 years ago got a job had a kid stop playing that happens all the time but now it's like hey what if i just subscribe to this service and played games yeah. occasionally that's the whole point that's yeah. the that's, the, that's the guy who's going to buy these yeah. games that would have never bought it. them before so it is it is a it is a market that they are able to get an address that they couldn't get before that is the benefit yeah. so to the go. developer and and that's yeah. a really good point because i think they're they're already going to get as you said more incremental income they just I, I don't know. It just screams greed, which is so irritating to me. It, it really does. There's been a lot of developers and independent developers, which all of us want to support indie developers. I mean, they they do amazing work and it's very difficult, but it's like they are not doing themselves favors by coming out here and, and telling people they need to rebuy their game. And by the way, I am a person who rebuys games. I don't actually care about doing it. I have multiple copies of the same game across multiple systems and I have for the last 15 years. But I still think it is insane in a situation where it's like, you're going to access an account that you already own a game on, but you cannot play it on this service because the developer wants to find a way to get more money out of it. That I'm uncomfortable with. Like the idea that I buy a game on Xbox and I buy it on my PC, I'm super comfortable with that notion. But for me to have to rebuy the game to play it on effectively another PC, I don't know about that. 
I'm yep. uncomfortable with that notion. And uh, out of left field, Russia comes in swinging to Apple saying, you're guilty of antitrust abuse over iOS <laughs> app monopoly. My first reaction was, wait, what? So Russia? Russia? Yeah, Russia's competition regulator, which they have one, <laughs> yeah. has found that Apple abused its dominance right. over iOS apps. Anyway, you know. Thanks for know, your input, Russia. We appreciate not, yeah, it. Not, not trying to throw yeah. too much shade at Great. Russia, but Thanks when I think about Russia, up. I don't really think about uh, anti-monopoly. Uh, you know. Being a real concern. Yeah, being a real concern. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's awesome. move on. Let's move on. Uh, what do we got next here? What's next? What's next? Oh, man. Oh, uh, I, I saw, Aaron, you threw this in there, and I had read the same article, but uh, Android is now the world's largest earthquake detection network. What does uh, it yes. mean? I saw the article, too. So, I didn't read it. What is this? So this, this was really cool. Aaron, I don't know if you read it. I'm sure you have an opinion about it, too. But basically, um, th- there have been some apps that take advantage of some of the really, you know, the micro sensors, your accelerometers in your phone. Every single phone is a an array of sensors, right? Right. One of those sensors is an accelerometer in 99.9% of phones. And that accelerometer is all that is needed to detect earthquake waves. So... Uh, Android is making a big step forward here, which is why it's in the news now, because they've actually had apps that have been able to do this for a while. And they're going to embed earthquake detection directly into Android in 5 and up. So Android 5 and later is going to have embedded in the OS Android uh, or uh, earthquake detection, which takes advantage of those, uh, those sensors and can give a couple minutes of forewarning for earthquakes, particularly useful in areas that are high seismic activity, even more so when coupled with some of the more advanced systems that are used, like in California, along the San Andreas Fault. I think there are a couple other major faults out there too. But um, but also in areas that don't have the super advanced systems that we use for early detection and warning for earthquakes, just an array of cell phones will let us find an epicenter quickly and send warnings out to everyone that could be impacted. Uh, again, just a couple minutes ahead, which the hope there is that it's enough time to duck and cover it. Yeah. Quite literally. No, it's right very cool. Case. It's it's a distributed opt-in system. Um, so so is, is, I cool. assume Google is the one who's doing this? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So on the, um, yeah. let's see, the Samsung Galaxy Note 20, uh, to nearly every Android phone released in the last decade, right? Pretty much anything that can run, like you were saying, Android 5 and up. Um, those were the main things I, I started to think about. So with, with anything like this, you naturally think, okay, how can, how, what could happen that could trick the alarm, right? And how sensitive is it? And how's it rated? Or not mm-hmm. rated, but how does it rate what is happening? Um, and it made me think about like a sporting event, right? If you could imagine uh, a massive amount of people at a soccer game, football game, what, some kind of event like that. And everyone starts cheering and jumping up and down. Is it, does it, to realize that there's you know eighty thousand phones jumping up and down and think oh well this is a football game. I doubt or it. I think there's an earthquake. And, and I doubt right it now. for a couple of reasons. One, I, I'm sure that the system will be intelligent enough to see it moving yeah. you know from left to right as an example or from epicenter out. So there's there's some pretty straightforward waveform math that goes into that. But I also think that one, a stadium full of people literally can't do what even low magnitude earthquakes can do. So to put that a different way, some of the earthquake sensors, we have some of that really cool equipment that I was talking about before, probably are capable of detecting, you know, a lot of people in a single place, but it literally wouldn't show up on the Richter scale. So it would be too, too small. The other one is that obviously it's a group of people 
they all yeah. have to jump, you know, in, in just the right way to even try to trick it. I don't I don't think that that is much of an error. Or yeah. It just made me wonder what what was, you know, what's the uh, what's the code behind it? Yeah. What is this? How does, it, how does it? Yeah. How does it work? That's right. Sticking yeah, with the Android cool. theme here. Um, did you guys see the the TikTok, the latest thing on TikTok where they were found Ooh, to be like bypassing? Latest things. I know. Well, they yeah, were found to be bypassing built-in Android's built-in protections and you know tracking users in the way they're not. So basically, going they're they're breaking Android's rules or Google's rules, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and I don't, I guess I don't know what this. Once again, we need a security expert, but um, the app was collecting one. users' MAC addresses uh, directly uh, for oh. the last eighteen months. Oh yeah, which, I saw is, that. which is not this something is, that they're supposed to be doing, and it basically the top line of the article not something says, they need this to do is at not all. A good sign. That's yeah. only nefarious. There's only that's the only reason you would right. need a unique it, identifier for everyone. One hundred percent, and they it, are explicitly breaking the rules. Like, and there was a, there were several articles that came out and said, "Well, TikTok isn't doing anything different than Facebook is." Yes, they are. <laughs> so <laughs> it, that is a problem. I would explain the uh, sister article that said the problem with TikTok isn't China, it's TikTok. And then this they were going TikTok, into all yeah. these different things like that. So Yes, yeah, the problem with wonder... China and TikTok is that TikTok is a problem and China can just say, give it to me, and they will. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> right. And then it makes you wonder, okay, if, if it gets consumed into Microsoft, will Microsoft dig into that? Will they tear it apart? Will they um I hope so. The, their their yeah, claim is, if is learned that if anything actually by... If they if they do acquire uh, TikTok, that they will do a full security audit. Actually, that'll be happening during the process. A full security audit on what they would need to do and could do to, <clears throat> to I guess, make it safely consumable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. I, I want reports. I want that to be true, uh, and I want I want to believe it too. But I I mean. Microsoft doesn't get as much hate as other companies in recent news, especially from us in the conversations that we have. But uh, I, I don't, I'm reminded of like, I don't even know if it was early days iOS, but probably two, three years in, but I forget the name of it now. There was a company that was tracking like everything on the iPhone and the iPhone, the you know, Apple had embedded it into iOS. Um, but it was, it was like, panacea for just user data and so thinking that u.s companies are somehow that respectful of our stuff even the ones that again aren't the facebook's of the world who get constant hate for lack of privacy they all do this crap so microsoft might stop tracking uh you know mac addresses one because it's it's pretty egregious two because somebody already got caught but i'm not convinced that if tiktok has all kinds of other spy on user features if it doesn't show up in the news, Microsoft's just going to say, "Yeah, we can use that. That's good data." <laughs> I, I mean, I feel like if I feel like Microsoft is going to at least play by the rules, and I could be completely wrong and naive here, but I, I don't know. I, I do feel like Satya Nadella has been a phenomenal leader for Microsoft in general and put them on a dramatically better path than they were at before he took over. So I, I'm not saying that they're perfect, but I think, and, and here's the thing, I think that what we can get information on from phones in general is very loose as far as the rules go. And I think every single one of them will maximize what they can work within. I I don't, I don't know, in my opinion, I don't think of Microsoft as a company that's going to go out there and do these things on, you know, explicitly on purpose, but I can just be naive in that regard. And uh, speaking of phones and Microsoft, 
the two screen surface duo. Why? Yep. Did you see the, you see the stuff on that? I just still uh, don't I get did. it. I don't, I, don't, I was I don't texting with uh, two of my colleagues about this yesterday and it's, I have no interest in purchasing this device, but I find the device interesting. I, oh, for sure. It yeah, looked it looked fairly well done for what it is. Uh, I just don't understand what the yeah, but why potential draw <laughs> yeah, is? Yes. Why? Why? <laughs> why do I need Somebody a fourteen hundred dollars phone? Oh god! Why do I need a fourteen hundred dollars so phone that just too. folds in half and, and I get two screens? I, I mean, ah, it's insane. I don't know. I, yeah, does not compute for me. There's there's probably something that we don't get because we don't have the use case for it, but there were a lot of people who've said a, you know, a million times over the last 40, 50 years, maybe forever in humankind, but that I don't know why I need this thing. And then all of a sudden we needed that thing. That's so. true. It, well, and you got to remember, we're getting older every day and, and more often than not, I hear things that come out of our mouth sound like get off my lawn. So maybe, maybe that's just where we are. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so someone on Twitter, <laughs> if you know why this exists, will you please tell us? Oh my. I just I don't get it. I'm reading the articles and I'm looking for why and I just don't see I mean, it. I mean, so there's, you know, Samsung has their new the second version of their folding phone and I just on Reddit on either the Android Reddit or the Samsung subreddit. I'm not real sure. Uh, something popped up where it was a whole host of people, you know, Hundreds of comments and upvotes about someone saying that, you know, not only uh, are they interested in the the second version of it, but they have the first version of it and they are going to buy the second. That's So wild. there is a market where people are paying in these. And by the way, I think the first one and the second one are both more expensive than this. I think they were wow. fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars. That's incredible. Uh, and and people I mean, talk about find value in that somehow. Tag. So, you know, there's a market out there. I don't know how big it is, but it does exist. Yeesh. Okay, what else we got on the list here? Well, I feel like we have to bring it up because uh, what day would it be in the Tech Breakfast podcast if there wasn't some astronomical leak? Um, so uh, oh there, there was this. Was actually like, is it a leak or is it a now. Facebook? I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, talking about leak, and, and there it is. It's a leak. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, uh, so the Qualcomm Snapdragon chips have a flaw, putting a billion no. Android smartphones at risk. So no. anyone that follows Android and and the sort of there, there are really there are many, many competitors for the chip space, but the two biggest ones is Qualcomm Snapdragon, probably the largest period. I would agree. And then uh, what Exenios was probably the the second leading one, or at least, and that's based anecdotally. I don't track numbers here, but I remember. You're talking about those. Samsung's chip, yes, right? Yes, exactly. Okay. Um, yeah. And I think I may have said that wrong, but yes, it's Samsung's chip. So. Anyways, what's sad here is that it's very reminiscent of some of the flaws that you see in Intel chipsets and stuff like that. But the vulnerabilities are brutal. And basically, uh, it includes stuff like being able to get in through videos that are uh, rendered in the chipset, right? Yeah, uh, so you fine. can just download a video. If it renders in the chip, then you can get, they can gain access if that's a malicious video, if it was built the right way. Um, and at that point, attackers can... Uh, track a, a bevy of things, including your location in real time, and they can listen in real time through your device's microphone. And it's like, ah, <laughs> that's a pretty brutal Jeez. leak. It's that's a lot of uh, that. That's a. It's not just you know, I don't know. I I actually can't think of a very silly thing that they might have. Maybe the names of your apps and your contacts or something would be like the lowest level leak. That's literally like your device's everything mm. location audio it is 
Very interesting. I do wonder what this will mean for some of the corporate uh, security testing. Because it's it's funny, you know, people talk about Android security all the time as being the worst thing in the world. SE Linux, which actually underpins um, the Android operating system, Mm -hmm. is actually dramatically more secure than like what the BSD community uses and, and like what is existing within the iPhone. So breaking into the OS itself, very, very difficult. The issue with Android is the App Store. Yeah. And the ability for user behavior, which is always your biggest security mm-hmm. risk, to do something that they shouldn't do or to download some app that they shouldn't, and then they gain access. That's that's the real problem. And so, like, for instance, you know, when we do corporate pen testing and stuff like that, it actually costs more money to do uh, security testing against Android devices than it does iOS devices. Oh, that's interesting. <clears throat> yeah, because it's dramatically harder. Um, I do wonder if this will affect that Uh negatively like if that will if this will make it i don't know if it's easier is the right word but it it gives it another avenue from a a testing and security perspective that you know organizations need to worry about with with data on people's phones so it's Mm. that's a tough one man kind of like the uh i don't know what which is worse if the intel vulnerability is worse or if this is worse or if it's relative but that seems like a, a pretty big deal considering the target that phones have on their back for having yeah. sensitive user data on it. I mean, everyone has everything on their phones, you know, or at least in accounts that live yep. within their phones. Yep, yep, yep. Not to mention... All right, so since you brought up a, a, a leak, an issue there, I'll go ahead and bring up Facebook, I guess. Uh, so there's a team at Facebook that is researching and developing bleeding-edge facial reconstruction technology so you can make goofy Ooh. faces in VR. That which is that's which is very cool. important it, well very important. you laugh you laugh there's people that created dances in Fortnite. okay it's very important it's a big big industry okay uh, anyway it is a big industry yeah, I know, dances I know. in Fortnite it sounds is a like huge industry get off my lawn <laughs> it sounds like i'm joking <laughs> uh but the article so this article is on uh road to vr.com oh, but I it says the big site. challenge yeah the big challenge face Facebook researchers say is that it's impractical to have a uniform sample of all possible facial expressions, right? And especially they're not trying about, hard enough. Well, when you, when you think about social, well, here, here's how it works, I'm though. Kidding. From a social perspective, if you're going to have a realistic version of your face mapped into VR, yeah, what they want to be able to do is scan your face with a you know a selfie kind of video, you know, sure. picture collage or whatever, be able to import it. And then you can replicate all these different various goofy faces. But how do they do that? How do they train the the AI to be able to create these oh, funny, random things? So what they started doing is they took – so take take pictures of like eyes open, eyes closed, right? Mouth open, mouth closed, whatever. And doing like a few different random sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And, then it, and then it started shuffling features on the face, kind of just like a random dice roll of, of the different areas of your face. Mm-hmm. And then using the system to determine if it's producing a realistic result or not, right? So yeah, it's, really it's kind of cool. cool. Yeah, I, I can imagine you know different uh, different ways to train an AI to do that. It, 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 your face and all of your little micro features obviously would be extremely difficult to train, but the gross movements you probably could have just like when you're voice training, you know, say these things while looking at the camera and react to this. And it'll right. just be something surprising, something funny, something. And sure. You don't laugh. You get a less awesome model, right? Like they try, have to try different things, but you could do some gross motor there. And then you could take 
the millions of gross motors that you got and start picking up some of the finer things and then just sort of smooth out how some of the small stuff works. And that's not as uniquely you, but it would still be pretty interesting. What's funny to me is how close we're getting towards replicating ourselves in a virtual environment, right? I mean, Zoom was kind of this really neat, fun, whiz-bang sort of thing, I think, for a lot of people. But when you think about it, it's just scratching the surface. It's like just learning how to make fire, right? (laughs) Before we can get into an industrial revolution of having a copy of ourselves in a virtual world that interacts with other copies of other people in a virtual world. Uh, This is a step closer to that. Yeah, I don't know when it's going to happen, but I can say with confidence that there is going to be a, a, a virtual reality space where like an economy lives with inside yeah, of it. And, it's going to happen. You know, it's rude. And, and where mean, our external this. economy, the physical one we live in will be, I don't know if dependent is the right word, but it will coincide and they will be closely linked. And, and I don't know when that'll when happen. The word hybrid? It, it will happen. Next. Yeah, I, I, sure. <laughs> I, it's going to, it's, it's going to happen. Bring in, hybrid cloud into it. You know, whenever I see, <laughs> whenever I see the, you know, the economy within video games today, like Counter-Strike. And I don't mean the one you use in the game. I mean the skins economy. There are yeah, people who right. their entire Get off my job line. is buying and selling and liquidating skin value. I mean, I have a, a, a friend right now who could liquidate $20,000 in skins. And so yeah. it's just a... Uh, it's a crazy aspect. And by the way, he does. it's not his full-time job. I mean, it's not. he's not focusing on doing that. And it's... It's just crazy to me where this is probably going to go. And I, I will tell you this right now. I don't think the majority of the world is ready for it. Um, <laughs> kind of like we weren't yeah, ready so for true. the internet. I think this is going to be something that's this definitely. Uh, it, it, I'm sure there's going to be a big generational gap there too. I, I can I can almost certainly predict as cool as that is and as much as I will probably lean into it because that's just me and my personality. I will also at some point just that get off my lawn guy and i'll be like now nah, you're already not get off my lawn guy no i just like to say that i still do these things <laughs> it sounds ridiculous though but i mean i'll gas I mean, no breaks I, yeah okay. <laughs> i uh, i mean i tweeted about this yesterday not last night but the night before i had a dream that business the business realm we no longer used real names we used That's gamer crazy. tags <laughs> it's just so weird but uh yeah ready player and, one get ready for I, it exactly and i know people I, I'm sure people are listening to this and they're rolling their eyes and they're like, this is mm-hmm. ridiculous. But it feels like we're approaching all of this stuff at a at an incredible rate, Harry. You know, to <laughs> quote it's a quote a funny movie. He, he, but here's the thing. Any, anywhere the, where there's real value, there there will be you know, business and uh, communities built around it. And people probably never thought in their right mind that there would be weapon skins that have only cosmetic value of them in video games that are worth a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. But there well, are you have a generation of kids right now that are that just graduated high school with all the challenges that we that we had this year. You have a generation yep. of kids in elementary and middle school. So my daughter yesterday she said I had three back to back Zoom calls for my classes. I was like, yeah. So now when you ask me how my day went at the end of the day, <laughs> it's a lot you know. like that. Now, you, now know. you know, right? And they're growing up in this disjointed virtual world where oftentimes when they're not at school, they're in a virtual world communicating with their friends using gamer tags. Yeah. Well, and getting like, used to it and getting comfortable how does that with not it. Become, and- yeah. How does that not become reality? 
How does that I have, not become? I have friends yeah. who I've only seen in person at my wedding or their yeah. wedding. That's awesome. That, that I've had friends and for 15 years. Uh, and I, I talk to them every single day. And literally, we've only seen each other at our weddings. I have an entire group of friends that's that way. Uh, and that's me, someone in my mid thirties, that's going to be so much more common. For, I mean, you see, for you see that all the time kids. though. Like, so people that, that met each other and they, they play whatever game all the time. And then one of them has a major event and they all decide, Hey, we should get together from around the country or around the world and go and support this individual mm-hmm. in person. And then there's a photo of them meeting for the first time, even though they've known each other for 12 years. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's yeah. So anyway, I'll get off my soapbox about that. What else y'all got? <laughs> Uh, California judge orders Uber and Lyft to reclassify their drivers as employees. I saw this too. Uh, that one's really interesting. Is, it's been a battle for a while and, I, and the yeah. battle is not over. Um, no, for sure. But I'd be maybe, curious as to what you guys think about that. My, my only thoughts on that um, were in effect a men in black joke about cab drivers being aliens. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't really uh, have a, a horse in that race, but I, I, don't I wouldn't either. say I have a horse in it, but I do have some opinions about it or, or I've, I've thought about it a lot for what it is. Right. Because, yeah. you know, Uber and Lyft are basically making the argument that these, these people are not employees. Um, yeah. They are freelance. They can choose to drive when they want to drive. Yeah. They that's claim these people don't want to be employees. Um, I, I think that's debatable, but I, I also understand like, one of the ramifications I was thinking of classifying them as employees, other than there's going to be a pretty profound financial impact to Uber and yes, Lyft, which is, I think, that's where the they're problem. coming from here. Well, that's the problem from Uber's perspective. But, but realize that it, well, that's that the just changes, the, it changes the cost for users, no matter what. But Correct. it also it doesn't necessarily result in like a better driver experience just to have Uber paying you for sick days and stuff like that. I'm not saying they shouldn't. I'm just saying, if if you are now classified as an Uber employee, what do you think the first thing being classified as an Uber employee means from Uber's perspective? You may not drive for Lyft. Sure. Yeah. So that's and, that's and now thing. you don't get to just roll the dice on whichever app is more expensive at the time or what lots of Uber drivers do, which is peanut butter spread for certain days and certain blah, blah, blah. They're going to say, no, you can't drive for, for Lyft anymore. You can't drive for Amazon's delivery service because we recognize that as competitive. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden, these multiple streams, which comes with the flexibility of being a 1099, go away. Yeah. And, this, and I, I, the, I just yeah. I don't think this ends up being as good as maybe Uber and Lyft drivers want it to be. And, and that's interesting because usually I, I would push back a little harder on the Ubers just trying to sort of deflate what they're paying people, but I don't know. I don't think it's going to be clean. Yeah. Dude. So with, especially in California, I mean, go talk to any business owner in California and ask how much they pay for an employee into government required government mandated programs and all this kind of stuff. When they would so much rather say, look, I'd rather give that extra 40% I'm having to pay to the employee themselves rather than paying all this other ridiculous stuff. And of course I, they I think that's <laughs> that. Well, sure. But uh, arguable on that piece, but sure. Yeah, I think talk is cheap when it comes to stuff like that, but I, I, do, I do hear what you're saying. Is what is the deal with the war on contracting? Um, now, granted, look, I'm not a, I don't love the idea of the whole gig economy thing. It's I, yeah. I'm a work for the man kind of guy, but it's a, 
I, I guess I just don't. I feel like this is a choice that you sort of make to be be a contractor or not. There are some people who just thrive, and that's what they want to do. I guess I don't understand what is wrong with being a contractor. Whereas I'm I'm all for the drivers having, you know, the most positive working conditions they can have sure. within this whole ecosystem. I definitely want them to be treated fairly as contractors or or whatever they choose to do. Well, I just wonder what it is about the contracting thing that seems to be under so much scrutiny here when it wasn't maybe for it doesn't seem like it is for other areas, especially in California. There's a lot of people in our you know, sector, in the tech sector, th- that are contractors. There's some really important things about what you're saying that also need to be respected from the Uber and Lyft side of this, though, too. A contract employee, there there are a lot of rules in place for what that means, right? So if you're a contract employee, Uber doesn't get to set your hours. Okay, great. I think we can all agree that that's pretty much how an Uber and a Lyft works, is that the driver gets to turn on the app and do the thing. Well, you can't rate your employees, right? You have no control over their performance. You can just choose whether or not you use them. Debatable, whether or not the way that the ecosystem is set up works that way. Uh, I, I don't know the full litany of things that goes into this, but there's a good chance that Uber and Lyft are being pretty picky and choosy about what is supposed to be done for a contract employee and what they're choosing to abide by for contract employees. So it's sure. quite possible if you look at the details here that they just picked and chose the things that were good for them and backed themselves into a corner where more often than not, they were treating them like employees when it was convenient, <clears throat> but not giving them benefits yeah. that they, they have to legally. I have no qualms against that. If you're going to pick and choose what you do with a contract employee, a gig gig worker, and you're going to do what's good for you when it's convenient and what's bad for them when it's convenient for you, too bad. You do this to yourself. I don't know where it is. I haven't seen enough about it, but it would not surprise me if they were picking and choosing what they were following as it relates to contract workers. And they were relying entirely on they get to choose when they drive. Yeah, And that's just, unfortunately, that's not enough. Yeah. I'm going to wait for a journalist to actually figure this all out for me. There's some articles out there, but it just, I don't know. I'm not convinced. It doesn't make sense. Um, So they'd be responsible for paying the minimum wage, overtime compensation, paid rest periods, and reimbursements for the cost of driving for the companies, including personal vehicle mileage. Like it just gets into all these. I mean, and again, if you go look at California law for business around employees, it gets crazy. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, look look at all the reasons that companies are leaving California and coming to states like Texas uh, because of the extra things there. But that, I mean, we don't even have to get into that piece. And Lyft is saying, look, we've talked to our our people and they do not want to be employees. We're going to appeal this if if this happens, right? Yeah, I'm curious about that one. I'd like it to just seems strange a bunch of Lyft drivers that say, I don't they're want the ones who are, aren't, aren't Lyft and Uber drivers don't, the ones who are me, driving man. this whole thing? Aren't they the ones yes, who are that's why I, I I find that really hard to believe. Like that doesn't pass the snip test for me. There's there's almost certainly no downside to the employees. I say no. I already listed a few things that could be potentially downside here. But bumped minimum wage, sick benefits, other benefits, reimbursement for your vehicle mileage, stuff like that. And that's one of those things. If you sit down and you do just back of the napkin math on whether or not driving, especially the nice vehicles for Uber, I. 
I'm like, no way. The number yeah, of miles you're putting on those cars. It's going to make the, no sense. The, yeah. No, it doesn't. The financially. What they're going to do is they're going to go from getting, you know, 75 cents or 80 cents, you know, per dollar or whatever it is that they, that they get on these, these trips. It'll go down to like 25 cents. It's like, great. You're going to get all these benefits and now we're going to pay you way less for every mile you drive. Except that they're also going to get minimum wage. So they do, they're going to win. If, if that happens and they get reimbursed for mileage on the, the drivers. Okay. You think the drivers want minimum wage? They, they get minimum wage and mileage reimbursement. I don't know that that's a downside on average for all of the drivers. I don't know. I honestly don't know the math, but it wouldn't yeah. surprise me if most of them do not make minimum wage driving. Certain days, sure. On average, probably not. Yeah, dude. No, they come on. And, and keep well. I guess they could still be part. They make time. way more than minimum wage. Way more? I don't know. Uh, not after What's depreciation, man. I, I think a lot of people don't calculate the costs of operating their vehicles into how much they're making hourly. Minimum wage in California is twelve dollars an hour. How many miles can you drive in one hour? It looks Dude, like I mean, just Uber do the math. Has, Uber has offered a $21 minimum wage for drivers as it fights against California bill that could devastate its business. So clearly the the wage floor is a uh, Yeah, Uber's Uber's offering something offering a floor that is below what rider what drivers are already making that is almost twice what actual minimum wage is. Yeah, let's see that. Yeah, that takes a lot of that away then. Yeah. Who cares about minimum wage? Right. 12 bucks an hour. Is that make $12 in one like so 15 minute drive? So this is, this is not, look, this is not in any way, shape, or form scientific, but I I literally just Googled this and it brought up from October 2018. Someone posed the question on Quora Do Uber and Lyft drivers really make less than minimum wage? And one person is responding here uh, just with a discussion with an Uber driver that had a very nice kind of setup and he had mm-hmm. snacks and everything he offered. Says that his math, he typically winds up making around $10 an hour before any expenses. So this Dude, was all in that 2018. Is so... I have no idea yeah. what's changed since then. I'm just pointing yeah. out that uh, I've... that's below the $12 mark we just talked I, about. I wish I, had, I wish I had written this all down, but I was always curious. So, you know, when I first started using ride shares, I, I, I was asking drivers. So I was like, all right, well, you know, do you mind telling me how much do you make, right? And, and of course, they'll tell you their peak days and stuff like that. But on average, their weekly income, when you subtract the value of their car, which they burn down extremely fast, right? Almost every Uber driver that I talked to that was doing Uber, Lyft, and stuff like Amazon deliveries full-time was putting uh, 50 to 100,000 miles on their car annually, which means, best case scenario, they're probably killing a car every three years. Take that expense out of your hourly rate, and you are not making good money. Here's an actual interesting response from an actual driver. Now, they drive part-time. They said yes and no. You can always find an example to support your opinion. Sure. These are drivers that drive when when others don't want to make or want to and make more per mile, hence more per hour. So there are ways. This guy says, I drive part-time typically yeah. work and sometimes in the afternoon after work commute hours if ride comes quickly and i'm busy driving i may earn twenty dollars per hour i typically average around 14 or 15 dollars per hour 
And this is a scenario where this person only drives during times when other people really don't want to. So I think the key key here is, is that a minimum wage earner makes $12 an hour at any point of an hour that they work. Right. Does an Uber driver have that same opportunity during any hour with which they work? And maybe. And if you worked a nine to five driving for Uber, you'd be hard pressed to make $12 an hour. Well, that's right. why you have Especially to have your art set up after in the car at the same time, and you're, you you got to be selling that. You got to be you got you to be selling it. Uber is a delivery mechanism for your main hustle. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Goodness. Exactly. Goodness. Yikes! Are you a breakout country artist? You got to be selling those tapes. <laughs> you you better be, or you're not going to be able to pay for food. Oh, fun! <laughs> no, you live in your car. I'm just kidding. There you go. Man, no, I just, in, in my mind, and we, we got to shut this down, but in my mind, like, if that was my job, and I did the same sort of thing. I asked these people, I, you know, I said, you know, what do you do? Is this the only thing you do? I just, like, pelted these people with questions, mm-hmm. which is probably why I have a 4.93 instead of a five-star rating on Uber, because they're like, this kid won't shut up. But <laughs> Sounds about right. the vast majority of them that I felt like were doing it in a manner where they treated it like a real job. They said it, it. I ended up quitting my other job. Like I worked for UPS or I worked at an Amazon, you know, shipping facility or something, and I quit because I'm making more money here, right? So that tells you something right out of the gate. Yeah, dude. Uh, but I walked it. through with one, go, one driver. They don't like go. That. Yeah, but dude, they don't go buy a new BMW and turn it into an Uber, right? They buy right. a six year old Toyota Camry for twenty five hundred bucks, right? Dude, Clean it no. up, keep it nice. The, I don't. You I. Completely disagree, and it's all anecdote there. But I I have not been in a twenty six hundred dollar Camry in, oh, on Uber in forever. Fifty two hundred dollars, fifty two hundred dollars. It just doesn't happen that often. Those those sure. are not the highly rated drivers. Nice cars get Ubers to get to bubble up fast. It's the personality. It's not the car. It's it's the personality, and so that's another thing. I'm just kidding, dude. I, I'm I'm like losing it here at the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, right, I, I look. I had some really good examples of people, and, and down, I just I didn't I didn't see it. I didn't see the math, especially when you took in you know how often they have to replace tires, all of the other maintenance that goes into operating a vehicle, the fact that you have to replace those vehicles. Sure, if you can still have a nice enough car to continue to get Uber, uh, the higher end rides, which are more valuable to drivers, and then. Great. That's probably one in a thousand, though. Yeah, maybe most, we need most people are spending a lot more on cars. But again, the realistic <laughs> piece there, if you look at the way Uber and Lyft are reacting, that this will destroy them. Yeah. Yes, and and, and that's the requirements a good point, right? that go into it. It will destroy them. So yeah, that's, that's the thing. That's what I you have to balance out. I don't know, that, don't yeah. know that they, ma- can, they can actually pull off what California is telling them. Yeah, they have to. I, no, I appreciate no, that I they're trying to care for people, right? I appreciate yep. that. But is it the right decision? To just shut, I mean, this industry won't exist anymore. Uh, no, it'll just cost a lot more. I, I I also disagree with that. If this service is necessary, then people will just pay more for it because that's how all of those costs work in business. They get flowed down to the consumer. Hmm. Uber will yeah, still exist. Point. You will pay a lot more for it. Well, who's going anywhere anyway right now? <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, they've got enough hurt going on already. Well, hey, I think the last thing that we should mention, and then we should absolutely shut this down, is that there is a new model for the heat death of the universe. And I see heat death there because there are two prevailing models. One is that there is the great cool, which is we're constantly expanding. And for the part we get, you know, it's, it's like putting a, a pot of boiling water out in the snow. Eventually, it's going to cool down and freeze. That's one, one theory. Another theory is that at some point, the 
expansion of the universe is going to slow. I believe actually that there's a lot of evidence against this now um, and that it would actually kind of rubber band back and you'd have a collapse of all of the, the matter in the, in the universe and it would go into another you know, singularity, massive big bang, right? Well, there's a new one. Um, a theoretical physicist came up with it was saying that even if the universe continues to expand indefinitely and we do cool down, um, there, there is a situation where black dwarfs, which are suns that are no longer, or sun-like objects, I should say, uh, that are no longer capable of uh, fusion, right? So the, the fuel burning has stopped. Um, but they are incredibly massive. So think, you know, one to two times uh, the size of, of the sun's mass is a good example, or it looks like one to two to 1.4, 1.2 to 1.4. Um, anyways. This is level of mass, not actual size. When we right, when right. talking this about is, this space is mass. things, yep. just to help, I'm, and I'm not trying to correct no, you, no, no, that's great. other people, right? This is the amount of mass not how big it is. Sorry, go ahead. Right, right. It and, and that I mean that's obviously important because it, it, well, it's it's critical. The amount of space that mass takes up is also an impact in in how these things work. But right. um, effectively, they're decaying in such a way that their uh, positrons are being produced, which are anti-electrons, right? And that anti-electron production will ultimately result in the collapse of that mass on itself. And sure. there, there are specific rules for that. When that happens, they will explode catastrophically. So supernova, effectively. So unlike stuff that we see, you know, more commonly in astrophysics today, like Type One A supernovas, where you've got two bodies, one accreting mass to the other one, it gets bigger or more and more massive, and then explodes. Um, this would be just a black dwarf is chilling, and all of a sudden it hits a critical point because of that positron generation, collapses on itself, and blows up. Well, what's really fun about this is that it says, hey, don't worry about it too much. These detonations aren't expected to occur until about 10 to the 1100 years from now. That's 10 with a boatload of oh zeros. You're right? about to Google a lot. So I am. So <laughs> 10 to 100 is a Google, a G-O-O-G-O-L. So it's a Google, right? 10 to 1100 would be a Google, 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 Google years. And those explosions will continue until 10 to the 32,000 years from now. And on that note, that brings this episode of Tech Breakfast Podcast. Oh, come on, bring your question. So that's presumably after the time horizon for our own sun. Oh, heck yeah. Our, our sun, I forget. Is so to even be worried about years, that, I think. yeah, we have to escape our own solar system. It's even worry about that. So don't worry. Big about time. It. Yeah. No, no. If you 10, were worried 10 about 1100 10... years from now, uh, <laughs> yeah, right? we, we really didn't not. want to cause anyone undue stress <laughs> by this. Right, so we wanted to make sure we clarified it. <laughs> no, the oh, sun, the sun yeah. will swallow us yeah. whole well before that happens. Let's, Let's worry about getting out of 2020 first. Okay. Uh, shut it down. Let's go. <laughs> All right. That brings this Tech Breakfast podcast to a close, y'all. We hope you enjoyed it. Um, we certainly did. We had a lot of fun talking about it. And uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Russ, awesome having you on here. I feel like you're coming every day now, and we love it. We'll talk to everybody on Friday. Oh, Ooh. and that 10 to 32,000 years from now, that would actually be a Google, 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 Google,